0: Hello, and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemoblishow.com. That's ask at thejoemoblishow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am, of course, your host, Joe Mobley, and our guest today is Alan Lee. Uh, Alan Lee is a a normal guy, just like everyone else, who works and raises children. Uh, He's a husband, a father, and he's also uh, an honest, real uh, poor guy that's running for president. Um, And you can learn more about him at his website, uh, which is, uh, there's a short link right here, but I'm going to put it in the show notes for you guys. You can also check him out on Facebook at Honest Real and Poor Guy for President. That's the number four for those of you who are listening and not watching. Alan, how are you, sir? Hey, how's it going, Joe? Good. Good. I cannot complain. Uh we both got up probably a little earlier than we would like to uh on the weekend. But it's for a good cause. You know, I'm I'm excited to um talk to you about why you're running. Um, and kind of how that journey is going, uh, as well as some of your policies. Now, fair warning, I think there are a lot of policies that we disagree on, um, but I'm excited to get to hear your take. Uh, I think there's a lot of good that comes out of these types of conversations. Uh, So for the listener who might not know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running for president.
1: Well, uh, before I do that, um, I'd like to apologize to you. Because then may would be a good number of questions that I may not be able to answer, believe it or not. And this is not a cop-out of um, the three very valid reasons, which I'd like to run through right now for you, if that's okay. Of course. Well, the number one, um, what a lot of candidates always call their uh, platform, because uh, it's a whole bunch of issues that they believe in, that they're pushing for. They only have one, so I call it my core principle not. So I guess you could equate it to a platform. It's just one central idea. Now, what are this? believe it or not, it goes back to 250 years ago, roughly. The founding fathers. The three little stupid words. Um, we, the people. Um, I developed a developed system, which we can go over later in a future podcast, uh, whereby the people out there are going to decide their own fate. Believe it or not. Not Congress, not the president, not me. They're going to decide. They're going to decide on the issues. I figured it out. There's a system. It's about 10 steps long. It's it's called the Formula for Active Participatory Government. Don't even try to say that three times first. I can't even say it one time But Anyway, the point I'm getting at is, since the people out there are going to decide on the issues, as of right now, I'm not in a position to ask about 150 million voters what they want to do about immigration or health care or taxes or whatever the heck their opinion will be my opinion. So that's one reason why I may not be able to answer your questions. Uh, second reason, uh, unlike uh, Trump, I'm going to use him as an example because he's more known at this point than Biden as president anyway. Uh, I'm not going to operate in a vacuum. going it depends on people. I believe in people that are experts that know what they're doing, that have been involved in their field for years or decades even. So there may be occasions where lobbyists will a deciding vote uh, but most of the time, 9 out of 10, I'm going to be just one voice. I'm going to depend on this panel of experts. And by experts, I mean advisors, consultants in every field you can think of. Uh, climate change and engineering and economics and sociology and on down the road, doctors and lawyers and science, anything you can think of. And again, right now, I don't have those pool of people to pull from, do I? <laughs> to pick their brains. That's the second reason. Third reason, I'm doing this to win for two reasons, one, to improve the quality of life for everybody who's out there, and second is to save lives. This can't be done if you don't win. Now, if I came out with my point of view to the left, well, then the righties aren't going to vote for me, are they? Bingo the other way, vice versa the other way. I have to be as central as I can, and my opinion will be what most of the people want to do. This is a democracy; majority rules. You can't please all the people all the time. You have to go with the optimal choice that most people want, that hurts the least—hopefully, hopefully zero. But in theory, but as little as possible. So again, uh, whatever most people want to do, that's what I want to do. That's, that's the third reason, basically. If that, if that makes sense, no. So let's proceed anyway. Fire away. <laughs>
0: Awesome! Thanks for explaining that. And um, so, I'm. You said some things that are interesting, um, and I I think I think, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm curious because this is this is a personal belief. So I'm curious. Um, you you had mentioned operating in the vacuum. And while I, I certainly believe that there's merit in professionals, um, I, I'm wondering what your view is on the executive as, as the executive, the, the, the difficult part about it being the decision maker, um, because there are times, especially in raw democracy, which is not what we have here, um, <clears throat> there are times where you can get 51% of people to agree with something uh, that might not be good, but more usually it's not just, it's not actually a moral or ethical um, solution. And from things like slavery, which no one is supporting, I'm not making that argument, um, but to things like um, certain types of tax reform, And I I often tell people this, if the shoe were on the other foot, um, you know, I I watched some of your videos, we both know that there are more than 12 million millionaires in the United States, which a lot of people don't know. Um, But if, and as a thought experiment, if we were 300 million people, if there were 151 million billionaires, um, or millionaires rather, if they voted to tax the poor a higher percent, um, obviously, this would be a this is kind of a drastic example, um, but it wouldn't be right. It, it wouldn't be right for a lot of reasons. But that's the reason, um, you know. Congress is that purely democratic body, um, and in a lot of ways, the Supreme Court is also a democratic body. Uh, the executive, the president, administers the law um, and and leads, you know, foreign policy and things of that nature. But, you know, the administrative agents or the executive agencies, rather, they they have their experts, they have their directors that, as you mentioned, they have decades of experience. Um, But at the end of the day, I, I think that the president decides because, there are times where the right thing isn't the popular thing. Um, I, I think that we see that with things like um, critical race theory. I, I don't think that that's the right thing, but it's certainly the popular thing now. Um, but anyway, uh, so to go back to that, you know, if if there were 151 millionaires, it would be unjust for them to say we're going to tax the non-millionaires, the 49 percent. Um, and the equation's different because now we know them as the 1%. And in this equation, um, they're the 51%. But if it's if it's true in this circumstance, then reason holds that it'd be true in another circumstance. Um, if the if the numbers were different. So I'm interested what your what your take is on that. Well, I am a numbers guy. I'm a quantitative
1: guy, kind of guy. I've run numbers on lots of things. How figured that's how I figured a lot of this stuff out. So um, it's, it's actually unlikely for anything to come that close <laughs> in any endeavor. It happens, but it's extremely rare. But of course, I do have my own personal opinion about things. But more important than that, I was brought up properly. I have very high ethics, very high morals, very high standards. Uh, a good example of that is um, there's only two reasons why where I would fire somebody at all. Somebody wants to quit, okay, go get another job. Go work for the opposition, whatever. <laughs> go make some money in the private sector, whatever. But I would only hire a person for two reasons. Number one, they're not doing their job helping the people out there. That's why they're hired. That's why they're making that big fat paycheck, sitting in that big fat padded chair. They're getting a big fat padded pay paycheck. So they don't do their job helping the people out there, 500%, you're out of here. Uh, much more important reason it's if they lie, that comes down to the ethics again. And, you know, everybody teaches, everybody listening out there, everybody teaches their kids what the most important thing, you can't lie, don't lie to me. Or steal, those are the two big things we teach our kids. Well, that extends onto adulthood. That is all the two most important things. And it's very critical in this situation because, again, I'm going to be making decisions, and we're all going to be making decisions on my team concerning millions of lives, Billions of lives, actually, because we're talking global, international decisions, and hundreds of billions of dollars, and even T, trillions of dollars again, just that everybody's been talking about lately. So if some idiot lies to me, and we get the wrong information, all the decisions are going to be made on getting, getting, we're going to be evaluating data from many sources. If the data is wrong, because this idiot lied, there goes some lies down the drain, and there goes hundreds of billions of dollars, if not T, trillions of dollars. And now you have to start all over again because this idiot lied. Not only is he going to get the ax, he'll be in prison forever, if I can have anything to say about it. So that gives you an example of, you know, again, what you were saying, you know, morals and ethics. Uh, if it comes down to uh, the nitty gritty, you know, 50.9% versus the other percent, they add up to a hundred. I'm a little too tired to do that mental calculation in my head right now, even though it's minor. Um, well, then it comes down to uh, good judgment, which every president has to have. Uh, everybody should have that, too. Of course, some people are better than others, but it comes down to that. You have to have high amount. You know, there are certain categories in my system, again, which would be excluded. A uh, uh, prime example of that is security of the country, defense, intelligence. I can't talk about that openly to the public and get their opinion. Well, what should we do about Russia? What should we do about China, North Korea, Iran, uh, uh, terrorist organizations? I'm not going to name any right now. We can't talk about that openly. That has to be decided by the experts, the people that know more about it than me, the people that are on the ground with boots on the ground in the field. I believe them more than the so-called high generals sitting in in the Pentagon. The guys that are actually in the field, like in Afghanistan right now, they know what's up more than people sitting over here on the other side of the planet.
0: So to push back against that, I'm I'm curious why um, if other people should actually be the decision maker. You know, what's it sounds like there really isn't a point to president other than the spokesperson of the decisions that are decided. You know, and especially in the intelligence apparatus. Um, and I don't think that's the case, but it sounds like. Is, is that what you're saying? Am I understanding that right?
1: Yeah. I put my judgment, I put my trust in the experts. Uh, not one person, many, has to be a unanimous decision again, and I will be one vote. If I want to override people, I will do that. Um. Something else I was going to say, I forgot, so go ahead, sorry.
0: I think that's a that's a tough area. So I, I am in the homeland security and intelligence space, um, and I would say that I'm glad that I'm not a decision maker or a policymaker because those decisions are very difficult, and the data, the best data, is not clear or sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's there's always a lot of theory. We don't know what we don't know. Um, cool. and, and other countries have clandestine programs just like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that some people view the president as the person who bears the burden of the unknown. Um when of he's the one to blame. Yeah. Um, but because of that, I, I I feel the best that a president can do is take the input. Don't ignore the experts, but also, um, you know, there there's a difference between an expert in the field and a, an expert executive leader, um, you know. And we see this in CEOs. CEOs rarely don't know everything about their industry or their own company. That's for sure. Um, but the... The decisions that need to be made um, need to be made thoughtfully and wise. I think wisdom is probably the most important uh, thing a president can have. And you hit on character, I 100% agree. Um, you know, when, I think when high-level staffers lie to their policy leader, they should be fired. Uh, in this case, you know, lies were taken lots of money, so a lot more yeah. than fired in my, in my view. <laughs> yeah I agree and it's such a it's a pain that we don't see that often. I, I think it's a miscarriage of justice uh, which is a huge part of the the president's job. Um, all right well I don't know what the disclaimer was for you're, you're answering questions very satisfactorily. Um, let's let's shift to uh, economic policy, especially as it relates to taxes. I um, I watch some of your videos but our listeners obviously haven't. Um, unless they pause this podcast to go over to Alan's website, which is, uh-huh. again, uh, linked right here. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, but that's Honest, Real, and Poor Guy, the number four president on Facebook. Um, yeah, so why don't you um, touch on your economic policy as it relates to tax reform um, and, you know, stimulus, whatever whatever you'd like to focus on. Well, one of the things you said before—sorry, <clears throat> it's so a little early again for me. Um,
1: Uh, There are a lot more than 12 million uh, millionaires in the country. Uh, That video was made a few years ago using the most current data I could find at that point. Of course, it goes off. There's more and more people turning the corner as we speak. But uh, the uh, idea is the same. The principle is the same. The numbers, you know, change slightly. But, um, you know, they're all talking about, I mean, Biden's talking about uh, taxes right now. It's uh, somewhat similar to what I was thinking about doing. Um, You can't solve anything without money. (laughs) The world runs around money globally, not just here, of course. Money is the root of all evil. They're both true. So we've got to find the middle ground. But anyway, getting back to it, uh, nothing can be done without money. You can solve many.
0: So that one is a not a pejorative it, the love of money is the root of all evil um, um, money, money isn't the root of evil you know if, well, if I gave a million dollars to a five year old they're not an evil person I feel the same if I gave you a million dollars I don't think you'd be an evil person no I would not it would be irrelevant to me as far as changing things inside here there's nothing no bearing on it whatsoever but, awesome um, sorry I interrupted your answer no, it's okay. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> so again, <clears throat>
1: Biden's trying to do this right now, with getting resources to pay for the stuff he wants to do. I would do the same thing, you know, as far as um, uh, corporations are concerned, there's all kinds of loopholes and et cetera that you can you know, increase the taxes uh, for. Um, but uh, there's a—and uh, and again, the rich people But um, I'm not planning on putting the rich people in the poorhouse. You know, if um, Jeff Bezos has ten billion, for example, just throwing out a number, so he has a lot more than that. I don't want to take away nine point nine billion of them, or even nine point, or even nine billion of his dollars. He earned it his money. But the point is, there's enough people at the higher end enough? If you take a um, a medium-sized number and multiply it times a small number, you get a really big number. That's all that. That's all it takes. So there's a, um, a vast group of people that Joe Biden isn't talking about either, uh, nobody's talked about it, actually. I think they're afraid of talking about it because they want to get their votes. But again, I'm the honest, real, and poor guy for president. So I say what's true. <clears throat> Most people like that at that point. So what I'm getting at is, um, a whole bunch of people out there in the so-called in the upper middle class that are making a hundred thousand and up up to half a million roughly let's say lots of people tens of millions of families in that category tens of millions i ran the numbers if each one each one of those families paid only three thousand dollars more a year which equates to um pretty much um lunch once a week pretty much uh i forget the exact number but they added something like uh, 70 billion dollars a year just from that category I would not tax the lower middle class or the poor at all. Why? They're dying already. Biden agrees with that also. He's not talking about this middle area. If you add that to the areas that he's doing, which I was going to do also, there's tons of money out there. If you add in the corporations, there's that T-letter again. There's trillions of dollars actually available to be used to help everything, hundreds of billions minimum, even into the T-trillions. So that's what I would do. And again, the majority of the people out there, the 99% would be unaffected at all by my plan. They would pay nothing. In fact, I'm planning on giving them a refund, sliding scale prorated refunds, similar to the tax stimulus. But this would be ongoing every year as funds are collected, they're dispersed by the IRS via tax refunds. Most people would get it, the more you make, the more you pay, the less you make, the more you get back. Duh. It's pretty easy.
0: Next. So, I I think the thing that's interesting about that is the numbers on the tax basis now, um, and when we're talking about the the super wealthy, um, the actual one percent already pays more than a quarter of tax revenue. Yeah. Um, around twenty seven percent. Some people say thirty. I've not seen a super reputable a source. Um. I, I'm interested why I, I can't make that uh, that leap there because the the poorest up to you know middle class up to 50 percent of um, earned income in the United States only pay four percent of taxes already. Um, so if you know I'm I'm. I make a very decent amount of money, but I'm in that bottom fifty yeah. percent. Um, people that make you know one hundred or two hundred thousand are not uh, here in this country, they're they're not middle class. They're in the bottom uh, the bottom half of income earned yeah. in the u s. But from you know, if people like you and i we we only contribute four percent already, um, which as a percentage of income, you know that's a whole nother debate. Uh, but if the top one percent is already paying that twenty, well, round down for a better number, twenty five percent, and fifty one to ninety nine, they're paying the vast majority of taxes. They're paying seventy four percent. I I can't make the leap that that's not enough. I other other than the I see no reason other than the fact that they have money. Um, but I, I, don't understand, especially on an ethical basis, why they ought to be made to, uh, pay a higher burden, uh, vastly higher. The, the numbers matter, the real numbers, but the percentage matters as well. And if we, if we forget about the numbers of their wealth and we say, um, you know, is it right for Alan to pay 1% and for Joe to pay 27%? Most people would say, without knowing what the heck we're talking about, uh, most people would say, no. That's, right. Well, that's you not. Have to, well, you have to quantify it. You have
1: to explain yourself and say, why? Why should Joe pay more? Because he makes more. You know, I'm paying, I'm making about uh 35 a year. But
0: so explain explain that one. Why is someone who makes more uh, should pay vastly more in terms of real dollars and in terms of percentage of income? Okay well, it
1: depends on uh, your definition of vastly again because again, I would prorate it. The more you make, the more you pay. <clears throat> Somebody making you know a little bit more than me is not going to pay any more than me probably. You have to make significantly more to pay. A submission more, still not a lot more, because there's in so many people. It's, again, if you multiply it out, um, the re- reason we have to do this at all is that things need fixing. We can't keep going like this. You know, if you go back, I think it was Ronald Reagan. I think it was the one that first asked, are you better off now than you were four years ago? He was trying to get reelected. Uh, I'm going to modify that a little bit. Ask the average person out there, are you better off, is your family better off now than you were, okay, four years ago, five years ago? 10 years ago, 15, 20, should I keep going? We you know what the answer is. You're not even as good as you were those many years ago. Things are going down steadily. They're not even staying level. They're supposed to be going up. They don't have to go like this, like the 1%, but a little slow incline would be nice rather than a slow, steady decline down. Uh, so again, things need fixing. It can't be done without money. It doesn't grow on trees. We tell that to our kids too. It has to come from somewhere. We're not going to rob the bank. Uh, if it's prorated and done properly, the people that make more have to pay more. I'm not trying to put them in the poorhouse. Same with corporations. But if you run the numbers, you know, people making, it depends on where you live too, of course. That could be adjusted too, depending on the cost of living where you live. If you live in Arkansas and you're making 100 grand, you're in a heck of a lot better shape than when you're in New York making a 100 grand, that's for sure. So that could be taken into account as well. But again, if you just run the numbers, if you make a little bit more, you pay a little bit more. There's so much quantity of people out there. If you multiply this all out, it works. You get the numbers that you need to pay for all this stuff to fix things without putting anybody in a poorhouse, house, without putting um, Wall Street in a poorhouse either. You know, they're owned by people, too. There's lots of CEOs right now that believe in climate change from energy companies, oil companies now. The CEOs. They want to fight climate change. They have kids and grandkids too. They're saying, "To heck with the money. We got to fix the planet." So again,
0: <laughs> it'll work. It'll work. The numbers work. All right. So let's um, move past that. Um, uh, and listening to your um, some of your videos, and I know things it, it was filmed a little while ago. So if anything's different, that's fine. Um, so a lot of that. Um, a lot of that new revenue um, from the tax basis uh, will be used for things um, it ranged from fixing roads, but also um, providing clothes um, for people that need them. Uh, you had mentioned food. You had mentioned a lot. It and you know, to me, it, it sounds like um, it sounds like vastly expanding. Uh, what you know? What I, I'm obviously a conservative. Well, Um, Yeah, so what we call increasing the welfare state. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on how this decentivizes a person. And it used to be a thought experiment for a long time, but we're actually seeing it now um, after the COVID lockdowns that a lot of people are better off on unemployment. Um, So the, the idea that people will work and iterate and um, work harder, you know, work at the level that the earners uh, who have what we call extreme wealth, um, the idea that that will continue to happen, uh, I I think is obviously false. Ayn Rand kind of, her life's work was kind of, you know, rebutting that narrative. Um, And, you know, frankly, you know, we both work hard, but if we got if we could do half the work or not work at all and still get 80, 90% of what we earn now, then we wouldn't. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you can speak to combating de-incentivizing the, the workforce, um, which is, you know, that's what's happened in, and that's one of the major things that happened in all socialist countries. Um, uh, other than government mismanagement, but also decentivizing. You see it'll last for maybe a generation, but the very next generation um, is raised on something for nothing. Uh, mm. so it's it's hard to talk someone into working. And the data that we have on that um, is really clear because the of those twelve million millionaires, you know, teacher, not professor, but actual teacher. With salaries ranging from 38 to 67, 70,000, is the number three occupation of a person who's a millionaire whose net worth is more than a million dollars. So the reality is, people at your income level, people at my income level are millionaires. Uh, It's from habits, it's from um, being thrifty with the budget. I I used to say that I'm the cheapest person I know. Anyway, so I'm I'm curious, um, given the reality that a person's wealth is usually not exclusively based on their income, but actually on their habits, because there are a number of law enforcement don't make a lot of money who are millionaires. uh, Lots and lots of teachers, um, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer; those types of things are actually not. They don't make up the vast majority of millionaires. and I, I think uh, manager, just broad level manager, is in that top five yeah. list as well. Um, so, how do you combat the reality that uh, your your net worth, uh, how much money you have, you know, dollars in the bank, is really based on your habits and your behaviors, um, and to include your spending and saving ratio. Uh, and de incentivizing the workforce uh a one generation down. If your policies could come into play right now, boom, and it's done, there's no debate. Um the the government gives out these things. Um there's you know, I'm not trying to be uh crude here, but it's it's redistributing wealth, which is what it's doing. Yeah. Um so if we wake up tomorrow and boom, Alan's policy is the policy, uh, how do our kids, how do we talk them into working hard, given that they're going to receive no matter what? Well, a <clears> few <throat> things I can say about that. Uh, one is that that may be
1: one of the things I don't say I have the, the answers to everything. I'm not that guy up there. Um, so that may be one of the areas I was talking about before, you may have to defer to my a pool of experts, but uh, again, uh, teaching your kids to work hard is uh, goes along with not stealing and lying. If that's done properly, it works from the bottom up. The only thing I can say, somewhat specifically, to answer your question is, I heard pretty recently, actually, I don't know the name of the program, but there was some program done in California uh, recently during the pandemic, I think, where they were redistributing wealth. Uh, a small community or two, I don't know where it was in California. I don't know how many communities. It was an experiment um, to see what would happen. And they were giving low-end people money to see what would happen with their um, worth ethic. And what they found, and it just, it just finished. And what they found was it didn't affect it at all. Those people still wanted to go to work. They used it to pay bills and buy food, but they were still anxious to get back, back to work, even though they couldn't, for whatever reason. They are in the category where it's hard for them to get a job. they wanted to. It had no bearing on it at all. That's the conclusions of this experiment. Uh, That's all I can say on that sort of specifics.
0: That that tracks because that was normal to them. It's all they've ever known. Um, So really that next generation, that generation that's born in a welfare state um, where the government earns more than mom and dad and the government provides more um, than your caretaker that's the generation um, that drives every country that's done this type of economic policy straight into the ground. Um, now, the interesting argument is the existence of America is an argument that, on a logic basis, says that socialism could work because nothing had ever been done like this before, Um but in terms of, you know, if you, if you hit big at the casino, do you stay and go for it again, or do you, mm-hmm. you know, cash in your chips? Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of analysis, it, the percentage is extremely low that outcomes in other places will be different here, particularly people, looking people. at that next generation. Yeah. I'm sorry? People are people. You're right. It doesn't matter what country it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So I, I think, uh, looking, we're about 33 minutes in. Um, so let's hit on one other topic. And um, in, if, if we've still got time, if the kids are still doing their thing and hopefully sleep, um, then we'll take it behind the paywall. Um, so on your on your website, it talks about um, that you're a person who cares. I, I don't think that anyone who is, you know, working and, and doing all the things that you've got going on, all the irons in the fire, is just out here frivolously. Um, but one of, one of the things on the website is saying uh, is kind of perpetuating the narrative that the government can and should care more about the individual than the individual. Um, and it's something I speak to people very regularly about, because on yeah. its face, it's it's a bit fallacious Um, you know, if, if I'm the government representative and I say, Alan, we're going to do this with your kids because I care and you and, um, your spouse have a different analysis and they say, we'd like to actually, we're going to do this. Um, it seems nonsensical to divert to the government on the basis of caring, um, because of course. The person who has Alan's best interest in heart is Alan, and the person who cares about you the most is you and your family, your children. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the benevolence of government has gotten overemphasized. Um, there's always theory versus reality
1: in any situation, of course.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious. Do you do you have any? I I don't think that when I, I forget what the policy was. It's somewhere on your website and it's, it's kind of like values. This is what I'd like to do. You, you had talked about a core principle. It's one of those, you know, tertiary principles. Um, Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious. I I don't think that's true. Ellie Beth Stuckey talks about it often. You know, the person that cares about my kids the most is me and my wife. Um, And it's a little bit absurd for the government um, from a school to um, a governor or whomever to come in and say uh, one that they know best, which is arguable at best, but two, the the real leap is that they care the most. I believe you. I believe you. I, I, I agree with you completely.
1: Um,
0: <clears throat> you know,
1: one of the important this ties into the core principle again. Something you said before too. Um, I believe in individual rights. This is the U.S. of A again, the Constitution, going back to the Founding Fathers again. Uh, That's why I I don't believe the government should be, you know, give freebies away and, you know, let the it and turn them into a welfare state. I don't believe in that at all. Hard work. That's where I got where I am. That's where everybody gets where they are. Uh, What I'm getting at is um, I believe the government should rubber stamp what the individual wants to do. We still have to go with the majority of the people again. So again, in my system of um, my formal active participatory government, uh, all higher level officials, which is members of the cabinet, all members of the Congress, both houses, everybody in the White House staff, the vice president, and myself, have to listen to our boss, the boss, the people that put us in those seats, the people out there who voted for us. So I believe that no the government should not tell them what to do. They're supposed to tell us what to do. And those people that don't will be fired. And I will help fire them. Like, uh, Congress, people in Congress, for example, I couldn't fire them. I didn't put them in there. But I will help the people who put them in there fire them because they put them in there. They can get rid of them. I think that um, we, as the government, just a general term again, should implement and rubber stamp the will of the people. I'm not going to tell them what to do, but they're going to tell us what to do through the press, through the media. The media is crucial to finding out what they want to do. I'm going to have surveys constantly uh, from all different areas, the conservative, the left, the right, progressive, you name it, not just social media, traditional media too. They were here long before social media. I'm going to combine it all and evaluate the data, find out what most people want to do, and the government will implement it. So, again, I'm not telling the people that are listening and watching that I'm going to make the government do whatever. You guys are going to tell the government what to do. You are our boss. And people who don't listen will be fired. They will lose their job because we're there to implement your will, the majority. Again, there's no perfect solution. It has to be the majority. You know, I like the the two-thirds number that the founding fathers came up with, 66.6666, that goes on forever, I might use that number again as far as um, deciding what the majority means rather than just you know 51%, for example. Maybe a threshold. I didn't work that out completely, but that's another option. But again, that's the important point. The guys out there, you guys listening, you guys watching, you're going to tell us what to do. We will implement it. That's it. And those who don't listen will be fired. They will lose their job.
0: So... I I feel like that works in the vacuum. Um, there there are a lot of problems with adoption. One, uh, I'm hearing an echo of myself, so hopefully that doesn't uh, come through. Let me clip the mic here. Um, so there are some um, a couple of issues with that. Adoption is one. Companies see this all the time. Uh, the military sees this um, when, you, when you put the survey out. Uh, it's a great idea. It's supposed to help a lot of people. And then you find that less than a quarter of people have done the survey. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, if, if it were an app, I've heard people talk about this, that there'd be a policy app. And there's, instead of even having a Congress, there'd be a thing that comes up, a bill, an issue, a policy, and Americans could just vote. Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, one... An underwhelming amount of people, and in, in reality, would would do it. They'd engage with it, um, and to be a constant struggle of adoption. We we see this, you know, a real easy way to know that this is true other well, than surveys that we've all seen put out, and we don't respond. Um, is at the polls today is actually the Virginia convention. So we're um, I'm I'm leaving in a little while to vote for who I'd like to be uh, the primary, uh, mm-hmm. the candidate for the gubernatorial race here. But we see this all the time, you know. Will a quarter of Virginians even show up to vote for this? Will a third or half of Virginians vote for governor? Um, so that's a constant struggle. The other thing is, is it's it's not bordering on it is raw democracy is what you're talking about here, um, and the problems the problems with it is the the ethical and moral implications. Um, And you're not arguing for this, I'm not arguing for this, but to cut straight through to why it's an issue um, is things like slavery or things like drawing and quartering, um, rich or poor, which are things that we've seen done in the past, especially under monarchs. Um, But if 51%, if the simple majority of people, or even if a super majority, if if two-thirds of people are 66%, wanted something to happen there, you know, I I don't need to get into the debate about whether it's, is it a democracy or a republic? Um, I, for the sake of propping up a political party. Uh, Neither Democrat or Republican party have anything to do with, is it a democracy or republic? But the the brilliance in a republic is that the the word means the thing, the thing being the law, is above all equality under law, which wasn't the case here for a long time, and no one's arguing that. Um, But when we do true democracy, um, and if, if we pivoted, if we weren't a constitutional republic, if the majority or the supermajority of people got to choose, um, then it really is mob rule. Uh, there's, there's almost nothing that people couldn't vote in, couldn't make happen, manifest in reality based on uh, their whims. And we've seen some really nasty stuff come about uh, with those kind of policies. So is that a concern um, for you? Well of course it would be a concern. But there's
1: way to address this ways to address it. There's ways to solve any, any problem. I'm I'm a problem solver. Um, <clears throat> you know if there's an app where you can vote at your home that's secure and valid and legal and proper and ethical and really works and it's and it's honest. I go that way. Um, that would solve a lot of the problems as far as getting the number of people to vote. You wouldn't have 25 percent voting. You'd have 75 percent voting, for example. Get uh, a better uh, quantification of uh, true values out there. That's number one. Number two is, again, uh, I would expand the surveys beyond what they've been doing now. This would be critical. One of the things on my website, um, maybe page 13 or 14, um, lists uh, some of the things that we do uh, initially as president. Uh, first my first few weeks, the first few days, I think it's entitled. And uh, one of the things I list on there was have a meeting uh, with uh, social media execs, uh, Zuckerberg, for example, his type, and stress the importance of how critical their unadulterated data is. Because again, lives are going to be decided and hundreds of billions of dollars, or that T word again, trillions, depending on get, getting correct information from them. So they need to do a good job. They need to expand it. There can be no errors, no bugs. They have the best resources on the planet. I don't want to hear any bugs. You know, They have the best IT guys in the world. This has to work perfectly. No mistakes at all. And I would stress on them that if there were a mistake, they would pay for it in the extreme. I wouldn't even tell them what I'm going to do. But uh, their company would be in extremely bad shape if they do something like that, and people die as a result of their boo-boo. Um, but again, I wouldn't be relying only on social media and traditional media. this has to be expanded uh, as much as possible beyond the way it's been done so far. Because all these decisions are going to be made based on these surveys. It, just has, to be, it has to be correct. It has to be proper. It has to be accurate. Or no go. Of course, it wouldn't work. I, I agree.
0: All right. Well, I... Uh... Uh, well, for the sake of time, I don't. I don't think we're going to come to agreement on the, the survey thing. I, I don't think pure democracy or even uh, greatly increased elements of democracy uh, practically work. I, I don't think there's a way to stop the the passions of the day from causing some real evil. Uh, from the well, crusades, it has, to be, it has to be controlled, of course. At least most of the people want to, you know, commit murder.
1: We're not going to allow that. It's something ridiculous, of course. Just like I was saying before, we military or homeland security issues. That wouldn't be open for argument. There's certain other things that wouldn't be either. This has to be designed beforehand. I haven't gotten to that much detail, but you're right. There's certain categories that have to be excluded. If the majority of people want to do this, well, we're not. You're, you're not going to vote on that anyway. We're not going to give you the option. Awesome.
0: All right. So, fans of the show know the last question is always the same. I think that we're nope, we're gonna blow over. I'm always trying to hit the 45 minute mark. Oh, geez, um, geez. And, uh, all right. So, last question it's one of my favorite questions. The reading list is continuing to grow. Um, if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book excluding um prescriptive religious texts, so the official book of worship for uh, our book of worship, the official book of a particular religion, because anyone of religion would pick that book. Uh, if you could pick one book that everyone on earth read and understood, what would you pick and why?
1: Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to answer that question, actually. It's, it's, the answers are too varied. Uh, again, I, uh, <laughs> I'm speaking uh, presidential right now again. Uh, it's individual choice. The government is not going to tell people what to look or read or change your opinion. You've you formulated your opinion already. Merge it with everybody else. What everybody else wants to do, that's what we're going to do. Uh, there's, there's so many books to choose from. but um, A good book would be um, the U.S. Constitution, if you want to call it a book. Uh, you know, if I could um, go back for just a moment and we're into a little bit of OT, uh, the reason that, you know, the government operates right now the way it is, the reason it's designed the way it is, the way the founding fathers designed it to be a representative form of government. <laughs> I'm sure this went through the heads originally. They, were, they would have preferred it to be a pure democracy. Why couldn't they do that? I'll tell you why. Here's a good example. Go back to 1700s when they are thinking about this in the 1700s. Uh, let's say they had uh, somebody in the colonies, in the northern colony. And they wanted to form um, get an opinion so they could vote again on taxes, for example. And they wanted to contact somebody in the southern states, in the southern colonies at that point, to get their opinion so they could vote. <clears throat> you know, in a pure democracy, everybody votes, everybody gets together. How are you going to get together? Was there any internet? Was there any phone? Was there any cards? Uh, if you wanted to get an opinion from somebody hundreds of miles away in another, in another colony, you got on your horse and hope you get there and hope you get back. And by the time you do, the situation may be different again. So again, they had to make a representative form of government. They had no choice. Get a bunch of people together that represent the people supposedly, which now they don't, as we know, because this thing gets in the way. But now in my system, the Internet... You can get instant answers from people. We can make a pure democracy now. It does not have to be representative. The people that we we have right now that we still do elect, and I'm not saying not to, all they have to do now is rubber stamp our decisions. Because now the people out there can make everybody know what their decisions are. We don't need a representative form except to rubber stamp what the people want to do. It's not the 1700s anymore. We can make a pure democracy. I
0: can't hear you at all. Sorry. I oh, didn't unmute myself. I, I disagree. I, I I think um because um, there have been democracies in the past, I, I think that the founders wanted to avoid uh, mob rule. They wanted to make a resilient government. Um And, and what we have uh, is more resilient than a pure democracy. And again, for things like, you know, we are, generally good people we don't you know we're not thinking what if there's a situation where half of people or more than half of people want to do something bad um and it doesn't have to be super egregious um but then it comes into this problem what thing is supreme is it the law or is it the will of the people and i think that's the question um that was mulled over again and again at the conventions um and I, I believe, especially given the founders' knowledge of systems of government um, and of philosophy, you know, um, all of them read and understood Plato's Republic um, mm-hmm. and uh, lots of other great writings, um, you know, coming from uh, sixteen and 1700s, but one, I, I think that they could have made a pure democracy yet, yeah, but the you know, a lynch mob is a bad word, just, just staving off the passions of the people in particular circumstances, uh, getting to a simple majority or whatever type of majority, um, you know, and we're seeing that now. We're seeing that in the narrative because you have a very level head about income disparity, I don't think most people do. I think most people are very angry. Um, and um, so things like violence or exile is not off the table, uh, which mm-hmm. is what happened um, with the Kulags. In you know, as if you read the Gulag Archipelago, um, mm-hmm. that's described. Uh, so we don't have an Arctic tundra to exile people to. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think the majority of people are like having conversations like you and I. I think the majority of people are very angry. Um, and a lot of things that are unjust are on the table. Um, We're angry now
1: because of George Floyd, for example, that just intensified things. But.
0: Exactly. So if a situation like that happens um, in a democracy, um, <coughs> Officer Chauvin would have probably been executed in the streets, um, which is wrong. Well, I don't believe in pure democracy. It has to be, you
1: know, rules. I would still modify it. It would still be representative, of course, but I would add add an element of pure democracy just to make things work better, make, make it fairer for most people and implement, implement what most people want and what most people need. The government still right. has control over what actually happens as well as implementation.
0: All right. Uh, Well, Alan, Alan Lee is our guest. Thanks so much for getting up really early on a Saturday with me. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.